Well, hello there. Welcome, everyone. And that, thank you for being with us. And thank you for always following us. And also, thank you for sharing all our podcasts and everyone's podcast. Okay, so we welcome you. And uh, we have Roy from Awakening Podcast. And he's from uh, Poland. And he's and I have uh, Jane, Dr. Jane um, Markey, and he is from Canada, but right now in US. And, and we have Hartmut from Germany, and we have John from Canada, also now in Florida. And of course, our one and only beautiful, good-looking, and really intellectual guest, um, Tom Longo, Luongo. So am I saying it that correctly, Tom? Yeah, no, Luongo. Luongo. Mm -hmm. So Tom Luongo is the publisher of Gold Goats and Guns. It's a newsletter, a podcast, and blog dedicated to marrying capital markets with geopolitics, trying to make sense of a world gone mad. So and don't, aren't we all trying to do that? Mm -hmm. So Tom is a former research chemist, amateur goat farmer, and he, he used the word obstreperous commenter on all things political. However, on my part, no, he's you know, he's not, he's beyond obstreperous because for me, he is really, uh, he's, that's why I said intellectual, but critical thinker. And he has such a good sense of humor that when I start viewing and listening to the podcast, I can't help but just smile and crack up from all the words that he uses and his expressions. It's really good to follow him in his podcast. And his work can be seen regularly on sites like Zero Hedge and LouRockwell.com. He also edits Ultimate Wealth Report from Newsmax Media. And he said he doesn't jog. Okay. So. <laughs> And the first time I, I saw Tom and I was, it's in a panel with Matt Eric and we've, we've had Matt, but I right away said, gosh, I like what, uh, I like where Tom is coming from. And in that panel, it's, I, it became like a favorite for me that I need to hear what Tom has to say and Matthew has to say in that conversation. Because nowadays, it's really crucial to understand what's going on, okay? So, Tom, I remember when the past, because of the pandemic, you know, many of those people who, can, who might have been in the holistic world, okay, or maybe, let's say, on some conspiracy theorist, they, they were the first ones also to be in line mm -hmm. to get a jab. Mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of like frustrating or disappointing that, oh, how come they never saw it as most of us saw it? Because we all came together during that period. So now that something is going on with that actual art of war in place in Ukraine and Russia, Yes, there are some um, people, again, podcasters, critical thinkers, freedom fighters who, do, who don't seem to see and connect it. So then they went sort of like back to the habit of listening to the main media. And mm -hmm. there you go. Everything is like 
suddenly they lost track that, hey, if for almost three years, it was so obvious that you have been scammed. Mm -hmm. How are you going to believe this thing? So what's your thought on that, Tom, and lead us to that? Oh, but however, but Tom, let me just, before this, please, please explain how you came up with a gold goats and guns, because I oh. really like it. For okay, me. well, that's actually the easier question to answer. Um, when I first went to work for Newsmax uh, back in 2013, we did a, a retreat where they brought all the new, all the newsletter editors down and all the, and all their editors and customer service. And we all had like a big corporate um, um, thing that we did. And when we got to the end of it, um, which was great because I got to meet everybody and I got to introduce myself because I literally just gotten hired. So I was the new guy on the block. And, um, and they had, so no one had any idea what my gig was and what my perspective on the world was. And by God, did they get that over the course of the, those two days? Um, and, uh, one of the at, the, at the time, the assistant publisher, Christian Hill, um, just said, I learned, you know, during a, a question at the end, so I said, what did everybody learn this weekend? All right. And the guy who had recruited me said, oh, all of our people are, our editors are phenomenal public speakers. That's cool. It's something I didn't realize. And then Kristen Hill came up and said, I realized that Tom Luongo is dedicated to this thing that he does. And that to him, it's a, it's, it's not just gold isn't an investment. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a thing. And I can't wait to do a, an, a, a promotion centered around him on gold coats and guns. And that stuck with me then. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's hilarious. Let's, we should do that. Well, that gig ended in 2017. My first uh, stint with Newsmax ended in 2017. And I had to go independent, and that's what birth what I do now. Um, and I just kind of took that ethos from that newsletter and transferred it into a new thing. And I said, well, what am I going to call it? I'm going to call it Gold, Goats, and Guns because that's what I'm an iconoclast and I'm, and I'm a quirky, and I, I'm always looking for something odd or quirky to, in the way to, to, to do the, to, to present myself. And hopefully that it's going to stick. My partner hates the name, but he's now acquiesced to it over time because it's a hard thing for people to remember. But it's gold, goats, and guns are really simple. Gold is your savings. It's my ethos for how you live your life. You start with um, savings, and then you and then from having saved something, and gold represents savings. You then say, okay, I've got enough savings. Now what am I going to do with that savings? Well, obviously I'm going to build something with it. I'm going to want to get involved in some kind of industry. Well, goats represent industry in that respect. They represent your capital allocation into investments into your future. And then what are guns? Well, once you have successfully built something, you successfully saved and you successfully built a homestead or a business or whatever it is, well, now you need to defend it. And guns are the, mess, are the main ways you would defend that at a personal level, obviously insurance or hedges. And in, the, in an investment sense, it would be like an, an, a hedge against your primary thesis. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a metaphor for just the way we kind of build our own personal lives and, and uh, either we build a business, business or anything else. And so that's why gold, goats, and guns and why it's in that particular order, other than the fact that, because that's just the right order from a language perspective. Like, like it's just the, that's the right, that's the right way of doing it. So being an old pe being an old poet and and, and uh, I just like instinctively know no that's just the right way that's the right order and uh, I argued with people about it and like no 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 it should be the other way around I'm like no you're wrong it's gold goats and guns so well I just share you what came into my mind when I saw that because I right away while you were having that uh, conversation with Matt and the rest I mm -hmm. went straight up to you know your website 
for me, it's not even a metaphor now, especially right. that right now everyone is creating communities for survival, mm-hmm. definitely. And with that fiat, you know, money, then you don't know, we got to get that gold. And then mm-hmm. goats, if we run out of food, at least we could raise some goats and get or... milk and whatever, right? And yep. then, yes, at this point, I'm sorry, but you know, you gotta have some way to protect yourself. So yes. it's like a, a good base tree. So yeah, I remember but, that you know, I don't I don't see guns as a as a as a as an offensive thing. I mean, people can use them that way, but they're ultimately they're first and foremost, people have them for resource allocation, obviously hunting and whatnot, but it's also, it's a defensive measure. Um, you know, I'm a passive, I'm not a pacifist per se. I will happily defend my, my home from anybody that decides they think they're going to get the odd idea in their head that they're going to dox me and show up in my house. I, I have news for them as to what will happen if they try to do that. Um, and it's, there's, you know, there's a, yeah. so we all know what, how that's going to work, but ultimately I have no interest in, in ever having to use them. You know, insurance is the thing you buy with the hope that you never have to use it. Because, you know, life is already filled with enough hardship and, you know, emotional trauma. And, you know, having run a small hobby farm for 12 years on and off since like we first got goats back in 2010. And I've I've run a small dairy and I've run a large meat goat herd and I've done all of it. And I can tell you that there's two things that you every farmer deals with on a daily basis, a lot of poop and a lot of death. And you're constantly struggling um, against that all the time. And if you're not fully dedicated to it, then it, it, they just snowball on you. And so it's a very hard life. And it's, the, it's a life that romantically a lot of people think they want. But, you know, the reality of it, the practicality of it is something that I try to bring to my patrons every once in a while to say, look, you, you, want, to, and you want to take in this ethos. But you don't necessarily want to live that lifestyle unless that's the life you actually want to lead. And if you are going to lead that life, understand that it's going to be very, very difficult. And it's going to be completely orthogonal, completely, you know, different than the world you might, you know, you you might be living in now. And, uh, you know, and it's not easy. And uh, it's just not. So uh, farming is hard. Like, it's the one thing I've learned. Like the farming is hard. And I have an unbelievable amount of respect for farmers. So, yeah. Even a small garden is hard if you want to eat from your free, it's already hard. So I just yep. have a small one, enough for me to survive for, let's sure. say, spring to fall. Sure. So let's go back to that concern of mine. So what is it that is like holding people, especially like, uh, you know, those who have been indoctrinated for like, it seems like it's so embedded that you can't see the whole picture. And you just, people just compartmentalize things. Well, look, opening, learning, there's a a process of of awakening. And I use the metaphor of Socrates' cave all the time. And it's Socrates' cave, not Plato's cave. Plato told us about Socrates' thought experiments in the Republic. It's Socrates' cave, which is that when you're in a state of uh, of lack of knowledge, right, Um, being given knowledge and then given the opportunity to break those chains and go into the light and seek enlightenment is a very dangerous and a very scary process. And it's very easy to get scared of that process and you break out a little bit, but then the minute it gets hard, 
you're going to run back to what's comfortable. And I've seen this in a lot of commentators and people that I, I, um, that I, you know, previous to COVID respected a lot. And, um, you know, and I just called them out on it and I don't care because with the, the fight we're fighting against the people that we're fighting it against, they don't brook any, they don't brook any, uh, uh, bounds on their behavior or what they'll call us. And, you know, we don't have time to, you know, indulge and people who are going to, who are going to get scared going back into the cave. And I'm speaking specifically about, you know, I, I'm, I, I even, I'll put it down to even people like Peter Schiff and Mike Shedlock and others in the, in this community who just, who got scared about COVID, believed the non, believed the lies and the nonsense, and then turned around and spent, and Nassim Nicholas Tlaib did this. Like he, you know, here's this immense, it, it, this immense mind and this immense intellect and immense well of, you know, passion that then turns into a screaming ninny wearing three masks and a face shield and and then using all of that brain power to convince himself that he made the right decision because he couldn't admit in public that he was just scared where because one of the it, it, there's a real problem i think that especially that men have in the society that we're not allowed to show weakness right we're not allowed to show our, our sense of, you know, the sensitivity or our weakness or fear or anything else. But, but that is actually what we need to do on a regular basis is to humanize ourselves. Like, look, I'm scared. Okay, fine. But I'm not going to let that fear rule me. I'm not going to let that fear define who I am. I'm not going to let it define my actions. I'm going to admit it so that everybody around me knows that, you know, yeah, I've got some fear. But that fear is the thing that is going to drive you to do the right thing and make good rational decisions if you accept it. But if you deny it and you stuff it into your corner, you stuff it you know, deep, you stuff it down, you stuff those emotions down and then believe that your public persona would be harmed by showing fear, which is in the case of Tlaib, clearly the, 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 the psychological process, you know, on board here, then, you know, you're trapped by your own macho. You're trapped by the, your own persona that you created for yourself as this kind of you know, big macho intellectual bully. Well, Oh, well, it's a double-edged sword, dude. Like when, and believe me, I know all about bullying people, like emotionally, intellectually. I'm good at it. It's to my, to my shame. I'm good at it. I can be that person. So when I see it in other people, I'm like, oh, don't do that. Always remain humble in the face of whatever it is that you think you know and they think you don't know. Because we all are living in a world of imperfect information. And the amount of imperfect information that we're getting on a daily basis now is an order of magnitude worse than it wasn't even just five years ago, because everything is now propaganda. Because the people who have have pushed these programs on us, and COVID is a, an operation, are doing so in order to extend their power into the future, beyond even their lifetime, into this next phase of what they think they're going to push humanity into. And this is what's driving Bill Gates, what's driving Klaus Schwab, what's driving George Soros and Club of Rome, all these people. It's what's driving them. It's just this, it's this, this, this need for immortality. If it, if, if only metaphorically, if only ideologically. And, but they're worried that the systems that they've had that have allowed them to uh, accumulate and project that power are failing. And that fear is what's driving them into these incredible feats of authoritarian um, activity. You know, when, when governments never get more um, 
uh, the authoritarian than when they're worried about a potential coup. And that's why I'm, I'm watching these, like, for example, I'm watching these lockdowns in China very carefully because I see the, I, I see that as the, 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 the CCP having a real worry about social unrest. Um, but not in the same way that, you know, that the kind of neoconservative warmongers in Washington are hoping for. Uh, I think it's a much, it's just, a, it's just a deeper thing. I don't think it's going to like overthrow the CCP anytime soon, uh, which is what they're hoping for. But I do think it's a, it's something that you can just tell that they're worried about. You know, I, I think that will take another 10 or 15 years, another generation of Chinese before they'll, you know, be willing to overthrow off that yoke and move forward. So that's the way I'm seeing it. Well, thank you so much. I'll pass it on to Roy. Thanks, Chris. Hi, Tom. Oh, good morning, Roy. How are you? Fine, Chris. So, like, we're all hearing about, like, Agenda 2030, the mm. Great Reset. I've seen some of your articles on Putin. You might talk about that. Like, what? Do you believe it's kind of the whole thing is a pony show with the different no. countries? No. No. No, not at all. That was the whole text of the, the, the debate that... Uh, that Grace opened with when she was talking about this. Putin and Russia are not a dog and pony show. This has been a this has been US, that's not even US. This has been British and European colonialist foreign policy going back to the 1850s. I, I, I say this all the time. Remember, you know, go back and read the original Sherlock Holmes, right? When they meet, when Holmes and Watson meet, what's Watson dealing with? A war injury from having been sent home from Afghanistan. Okay, the British Empire was fighting in Afghanistan to stop the Russians from from creating any kind of any kind of uh, uh, hegemony or you know unification of Central Asia. It's been going on for 150 years, if not longer. Okay, and I think it's a this is a, a this is a different mindset. the The Russians are not communist in the same way that uh, we're seeing from French and German intellectuals. Like the intellectual basis for their rationality as to what they want to do is fundamentally different. The Russians are not, you know, Western libertarian style individualists. They never have been, not ever. They've always been more monarchist in their thinking. I have a czar, have a strong president, have a strong central state that guarantees the rights of the people. And I think that they're, um, and the Russian people as a culture are much more comfortable with the submission to that kind of state, as long as that state is, you know, operating in their best interest. Um, it's a perfectly valid model. Well, that's perfect. I wouldn't say it's a valid model because I'm me, I'm an anarcho libertarian. I don't believe any of these governments are a valid model from a, uh, from a, a philosophical or moral perspective, but Hey, that's, I'm not Russian either. So it's fundamentally different. Putin is a sovereigntist and he's a Russian patriot. And he may do things that look similar to what we've seen, what we're seeing out of what's going on in the West. But it's, if it, if anything, it is simply the natural um, defensive mech, um, play against a hyper-aggressive enemy. And understand that the Russians are under multi-vector attack at every level of their society and have been for three generations. And certainly in the last 30 years and even more intensely in the last 20 years since Putin took power. 
because Putin very quickly turned out to not be anybody's puppet. And then we've had, then stepped up the game since then. Go look into guys like Bill Browder and Edmund Safra and how and, and all of that stuff and the Yukos and Korkovsky and all of that stuff. And it's very clear that they have an, an unbelievable animus towards Russians. The Great Reset doesn't work. Agenda 30, 2030 doesn't work if there is a supply of strategic commodities, oil, gas, nickel, uranium, copper, wheat, pigs, you name it coming from a governmental system that they don't control because their goal, I mean, I saw the, the latest thing I saw this morning was the European union is going to force all car makers to install governors on cars so that they can't, you're not allowed to break the speed limit anymore. Starting with, you know, 2022 or 2023 cars, like, like this is coming, this is here. So we're going to regulate traffic in the name of safety. We're going to completely regulate traffic because we have complete control over your cars. We have complete control over transportation and all, all of it. You, you can't, you can't run Russia that way. Russia spans sought nine time zones. Like you got 140 million, 40, 145 million people stretched out over nine time zones. It's nonsense. It's not going to happen. Like it's, it's what they're, and they would not be, we would not be prosecuting uh, a war the way we have against Russia if it wasn't, if this wasn't the, um, uh, if, if they weren't angry about this. Like, and I, I tried to explain this in the the, the, the debate that I did with Matt Eret and, and uh, Whitney Webb that Grace said at the beginning, talked about in the beginning. Every move they're making financially with the ruble, with um, their capital controls and everything else are all designed to blow economic sanctions back on the West like, and protect them in the long run. And they'll take their money that we're still going to give them for oil, gas, nickel, coal, copper, and all the rest of it. And they're going to turn around with it and they're going to now subsidize, they're going to spend all that savings. They built a massive pile of savings for the day war was actually officially declared against them. Okay, that's what they did. That's why the Russians had $630 billion in foreign exchange reserves. It's why the Sovereign Wealth Fund has a similar amount of money or maybe three or 400, other, three or 400 billion. That's all national savings that they can spend however they want, when they want. And they're going to spend it now. Once the Russians are already talking about ditching the WTO, the minute they're out of the WTO, they no longer have to, um, uh, they don't have to abide by international property rules, patent law. They don't, they don't, will no longer be under any legal onus to respect U.S. patent law. So all those technologies that they're not for businesses are not allowed to build because they're, they've been on those, those technologies have been sanctioned by the United States and the European Union. Guess what? All that IP inf information is out there and all that information can be, can be, can now be quote unquote pirated. The Russians and the Chinese and the Indians are going to do this. They're all going to pull out of the WTO at some point, or they're going to use the threat of pulling out of the WTO to end all of this nonsense. So, you know, one of the, one of the, 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 uh, crit, uh, the critiques of Putin's war effort to the, today by my partner, Dexter White has been, look, the Russians aren't committing their best technology to the war because they don't have any of it. This has been his argument and he's taken a lot of heat for this. And I even, I'm not going to validate as to whether he's right about this, but it's something that could be worth considering. Why aren't they using any T-14 Armada tanks? 
Well, because they can't build the barrel, because they can't lay the barrels for them, because they don't have the technology to do that, because we we control the access, the world access to 3D CNC machines through international patent law. Okay, so if the Russians pull out of the WTO and they no longer want to do that, well, then guess what? They're going to be making a whole lot of barrels for the T-14 Armada tanks. If this is going to be a, they're going to turn Ukraine into a 20-year, what they think is a 20-year war to bleed the Russians white, well, then the Russians will just turn around and up and spend their savings building up new industries to support the rollout of, of much higher quality, uh, technologically advanced um, industries. And the Chinese are dumping money in left and right. So are the Indians and everybody else. So the, they wouldn't be building a, a commodity basket style SDR for the European uh, Eurasian Economic Union if they were interested in still being part of the old the old system and ready to go to you know modern monetary theory and you know unmoor everything from commodities. No, they're going in the exact opposite direction. They're trying to take money and tie it back to commodities, which they produce a tremendous amount of, as opposed to what the West is trying to do, which is set up for a massive debt default all across the West and unmoor money from any kind of opportunity cost. Right now we uh, we we more we you know we anchor money to debt, but that debt's now unpayable. The markets all know it's unpayable. So this either we default on the debt. And if we are going to default on the debt, what are we going to replace it with? And the goal of the Great Reset is for all of these horrible people to default on all of their debts and default on all of their promises to us, social promises and everything else, and do so, but still maintain their power. That's the, what the Great Reset is. That's what Agenda 2030 is. And they believe that they can do that by killing as many of us as possible through vac through quote unquote vaccines that are supposed to protect us from a virus that is no more uh, dangerous, that is not much more dangerous than the flu uh, in order to bring about a, a, a ridiculous surveillance state. Now, the Russians may want to put a, a ridiculous surveillance state in place over the next you know, generation or so, but it's only because they're dealing with radical infiltration with a tremendous, and they're, and they're fighting a war, an economic war that is um, you're dealing with people who have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times the budgets that you can put at. So unfortunately, you know, that's what they're going to do. And they're going to do that in response. And, you know, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it is the logical way to deal with the, the assault. They have a war economy now. It's just that simple. So with, with China, then do you think China? I mean, it looks to me if you look at the, their social system, you know, like people can't even terrible. travel. So it looks like their leader was put in place, and they're under the same control. Or have you a different well, view? I I think G has always. I don't think G was put in place by anybody, other than the Chinese. Um, G has made it abundantly clear that he's happy to. Um, take bits and pieces of, of their agenda and use it for his cynical advantage, but he has no interest in there. In, in there. The goal of going after Russia is to subjugate China. That's the goal. You, you cut off China. China is a net energy importer, right? Massive energy importer. So was India. So was Europe. Who are the two energy exporters really? Well, it would be the United States if we were allowed to export energy but we're not because we're not allowed to develop our energy because again the people who are trying to pull this off want to have want to control the flow of energy around the world in order to keep everybody in a kind of new neo-feudalism 
Okay. The Chinese have always had a neo-feudal, the Chinese state has always had a kind of neo-feudal state um, uh, 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 view of their, of their people and of the, the relationship between the people and the state. It's not like it's a, this is a new or old new thing or anything. So, but I remember of that, and it's something that Matt Eric brought up in that debate. And it's something that I've, I've talked to other people like Alistair Crook and Joaquin Forays and others who, who, who've done a better job of, of, uh, of articulating these ideas, which is that, the the relationship with these civilizations, which are much older than ours, and their people are, are is just fundamentally different. It's not a transactional situation. And I brought up earlier that the Chinese Communist Party may be, you know, sinking into a kind of paranoia, just like the Russians may be sinking into a kind of paranoia. Well, and well, they should be. They're under attack from the people who have all the money, right? And they're trying to leverage what's left of the value of that money that they can use it to garner goods in the real world. That money system is collapsing. But for a, for a certain period of time, next three, five, seven, ten years, whatever it's going to be, I don't know what that what's going to look like. They're going to leverage the value that they can. Uh, they're going to leverage that that money to procure goods in the real world. In this case, espionage, spies, you know, warships, blah 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 blah, um, media, the rest of it. In order to, you know, uh, continually undermine those societies, and because of that, the Chinese are going to are going to pull back. But they've also pulled back on capital. They've trapped billions of dollars in Western capital inside China. Billions. Like I, when I understand, George Soros had billions in Evergrande, and the Chinese have been like, yeah, and you're last in line to get paid. Which is why the minute Evergrande hit the friggin' um, headlines over here in the United States, the next day, literally, George Soros is writing an op-ed saying, calling Xi the devil. It, that's not a double-blind bluff or anything. That's not 4D chess. That's not, that is, George Soros hates Xi because Soros thought he was going to be able to put billions into China and then get control of the Chinese state the same way that they deploy tens of billions of dollars in the United States and in Europe and then use that power to then influence the state. The state in China is more powerful than the oligarchs. The state in Russia is more powerful than the oligarchs. The oligarchs, and we're we're thinking that we can undermine the oligarchs and then for and then that will force these people out of power. But since the Hong Kong riots of 2018, which, were the, which, was a, which was a color revolution attempt against Hong Kong. What have we seen? How long was Jack Ma out of the public eye? Because he was in a Chinese prison somewhere, getting the hell beat out of him? Because he dared to say that we were going to build a new monetary system outside of the purview of the Chinese government? Hmm? Like Not just Jack Ma, but the guy at Evergrande. He had to give up all of his wealth and pay back the first the domestic creditors. And there's a half a dozen of these examples. The oligarchs don't have power in China. If you want to overthrow China, you have to overthrow the people within the CCP, within that power structure. And I'm telling you, neither Xi nor Putin are in any worry of that happening. As a matter of fact, I'll give you one the, the thing that's been popped into my head this morning. There's this story going around that, that Putin has um, uh, thyroid cancer and he's going to be out of business for a few days. No, I don't believe, I don't buy that for a second. The West has been playing that game for about a month. They've been building that story up. 
That's not what that is at all. That's we're sending, we think we have enough people within the Kremlin to do an assassination attempt against Putin and Putin's going into hiding while his people take care of it. This has happened before. And the same stories were leaked to the press that there was something wrong with Putin. He held that this happened in 2015. He, or early 2016. He, he, um, he disappeared for two weeks. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, where's Putin? He's never, he never takes two weeks off the job. Putin doesn't take a day off. And they even, they even went so far to say he has schizo disaffective order or some disorder or something like that. Like, like really? We're going to go with that. Are you going to, are you going to tell us that, he, that, he, that he's Aspie as well? Like, okay. Really? All right. Uh, okay. Okay. Boomer. Like this is what I'm, this is the way this, like, okay. I mean, this is all coming out of Bellingcat. This is all coming out of MI6. This is all just, this is all British media and it, it's all nonsense, but they probably think they have enough people within the Kremlin to try another attempt and they're all going to die. And Putin will show up a week from now looking rested. And that would be that. And if not, well, then World War III, baby, because if you get rid of Putin, forget it. The nukes start flying. He's the only one stopping the Russians from nuking the UK at this point. Because they deserve it from their in the from the Russians' perspective. And there are hardliners in Russia that are itching to nuke the Brits for 150 years worth of humiliations. Don't ever forget it. And I'm not. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you where their where their head is at. And if you listen to what they're, you know, and you know, if I'm a hardliner in Russia, I'm like, oh yeah, the first pe- the first place I nuke is London. Let's get rid of let's get rid of the let's get let's get rid of the LBMA. Let's get rid of all the city of London bankers. Let's get rid of the Queen. Yeah, let's get them all. Let's 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 wipe the board clean and start again. Because the the the. The bureaucrats in Germany don't matter. Emmanuel Macron doesn't matter. Mario Draghi in Italy doesn't matter. They can't nuke the White House, so, you know, 10 Downing Street sounds right. I'm not, again, I hope it never comes to this. But if I'm doing the, if I'm doing the, the blunt geopolitical game theory here, and, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to like, yeah, well, I'm going to put my inner, you know, I'm going to put my inner chimpanzee on and go, okay, yeah, you guys, you guys flung enough poo at me. I said, I'm done. I, I pick up a stick and I start beating you. That's what's coming. And we think that we can handle this. And maybe. The, I know the neocons on K Street in Washington, they think that they can win a, a limited nuclear exchange with the Russians. They're crazy. They're, they're absolutely insane. But I know that that's what they're thinking. Go listen to everything that comes out of Victoria Newland's mouth and everybody who's associated with her, and you will hear it over and over and over again. And there are a lot of people within MI6 and within um, British intelligence and you know British uh, uh, foreign ministry who think the exact same way. Scary. Okay. Thanks, Tom. I'll pass you on to Jane. Sure. <laughs> Hi, Tom. Good morning. <clears throat> I wanted to piggyback on your comments about being humble with information and the type of training I've had as a doctor is as a homeopath. And I know it's human nature and we've been taught that when we are confronted 
with a you know a patient that we want to heal it's human nature to jump to a conclusion and find something that will work right. too quickly and so we've always been taught to be humble and listen and gather information for quite a long time and i wish i could teach that training <laughs> i wish i could give that training to humanity you know because our tendency is to jump on something and you know try to solve our oh i, I know I, I it's funny you know we i men are worse than this because men are designed to be problem solvers our job our whole dna like our whole being our woman has a problem we need to solve it right yeah so yeah and sometimes that's actually the complete and this is the hardest thing i've had to learn in my marriage like i've been married to the most unbelievable woman in the world for just over 30 years now and sometimes she just wants me to listen mm -hmm. she doesn't really want me to like solve a problem for her because the problem doesn't really have a solution what she needs is some empathy and she, after a while, she just finally had to tell me, like, dude, I just want you to sit and listen. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Come here. Yeah. And then, yeah. but, you know, we're both a little aspy. And because of that, like, we don't get, you know, those those those, those social signals are really hard one for me. So, but yeah, it's, 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 it's that. And it's learning to be, it's learning, you know, the, there's an adage in markets that, you know, no one ever got rich before they went broke a couple of times. So you have to learn the humility in front of the market because the market will humble you. So just take that. I've just taken that because I have gone broke many times playing around the markets. Right. And yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. And I don't play around the markets anymore. I only I, I only pick stocks for people. I do not actually have an investment portfolio because I can't I can't trade. I can analyze, but I can't trade. Those are two completely different things because I can't separate my emotions from my positions. The minute I have a position on the table, I'm now emotionally invested in it. And once I'm emotionally invested in it, then I can't analyze it. I can't, yeah. I can't control my behavior well enough to divorce myself to actually make the decisions that my brain is saying, the analytic portion of my brain is saying, go do this, this, and this, and don't do that. And invariably, I go, yeah, I should do that now. I should sell there. And I go up again. Yeah. And then you get trapped at the top of the, like, and you had, you had a perfectly valid 12% trade on the, on the table and you let it go. And like, I, I, so I don't, I don't trade and I don't actually hold stocks anymore. Yeah. I, and it's for this reason. I have to be humble. Yeah. And the people running this agenda know human nature, don't they? Mm -hmm. Like that we're just going to, you know, triple mask and figure that's the way <laughs> as soon as it's like the solution. Right. So I'm in the middle of gathering information. Um, I, you know, I'm humble about how much I know about Bitcoin and blockchain mm. and, you know, many many feel and it's a natural t tendency to, with what we know to say yes this is the way out you know we can take back mm -hmm. control of our monetary sure. system and i just i listened to something recently that you you know an interview you had and i i just wanted you to expand on some of the red flags you see in that oh i i crypto is a very interesting subject and it's become a religion in and of itself, okay? In the same way that, um, you know, first-year libertarians are all religious fanatics because they've, like, woken up to the the, the, the solution to politics. And, you know, uh, the old joke in, in, in libertarian circles is that what's the difference between a minarchist, a small government guy, and an anarchist? Well, about two years. 
It takes about two years to like finally embrace the non-aggression principle and all these ideas to the point where, yeah, no, we really don't need government like to do what we need to do. We just need voluntary systems. Now, Bitcoin is the ultimate kind of voluntary opt-in system because at the same time, blockchain is a really dumb technology. Um, but it's also a very powerful technology in, in its stupidity. You know, uh, 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 encrypted databases, sharded encrypted databases handle information far better than blockchains do. Blockchains give you something that encrypted databases can't give you, which is uh, permissionless, uh, being permissionless and trustless. I don't have to trust anybody. There's the blockchain. It's running. There's the information. It's running. It's there. I know exactly how many coins there are. I can do the math. I can go total up all the UTXOs on, on the Bitcoin blockchain and go, yep, that's where they are. And they're associated with these accounts. Great. And it's all auditable. And that's both a blessing and a curse. Uh, who owns all those UTXOs? Well, if you want to do that work to go figure out who that person is by doing all the I, you know, the IP tracing and everything else. That's your job. That's that's your gig. You have fun with that IRS, you know, DOJ, whomever. We can easily obfuscate all that information. So, you know, that's a moving target for you because defense, because guns are a defense and privacy within Bitcoin or within any kind of crypto is just another, it's just, it's just an arms race, right? So the fly, red flags I see within crypto per se, is Davos and these people that I talk about all the time want to want all of the ledger, all of the public information, but none of the, um, but none of the trustlessness, and none of the uh, none of the aspects of proof of work, Bitcoin that create sovereignty. They want all the surveillance with none of the sovereignty because they don't believe in individual sovereignty. Okay, these people are communists in the most reductionist version of reality. Okay, they and I use the word communist differently than most people do. It's not a big cap, it's not a big capital C. It's a little smaller, lowercase c. It's an ideal, it's an ideology, which is that ultimately this ultimately we don't have a right to have individual rights. Okay. So sovereignty is only something that is granted to you by the community. No. No, me, my seizing nine millimeter will talk to you about whether or not I have individual rights or not. That's what guns are all about. So that's what they want. And that's where we, and that's why they're backing things like the movement of Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake. Not that Ethereum was ever going to scale on a proof of work blockchain, but then you got to ask yourself, then why did they build Ethereum on a proof of work, proof of work blockchain in the first place? And why did they do a pre-sale? And why was all this other, you know, why was all the, you know, and then you start going into the history on Ethereum and you say, oh yeah, it's a scam. It was always set up to be the thing to try and destroy Bitcoin. with. Why have they come after Bitcoin for the amount of energy that it uses? because they're trying to fear monger people about proof of work being too inefficient. It's not inefficient at all. We send the, what's inefficient is electricity generation because we have centralized power grids running on coal fired power plants, as opposed to having small PEM fuel cells running neighborhoods and a distributed grid or, you know, small modular nuclear reactors, which is technology that's 60 years old. 
We don't have any of those things because we have all of this, all of this, 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 this regulatory miasma, this layer of bureaucracy and layer upon layer of regulatory miasma created by these very people, put in place by their agents and every government around the West in order to stop the advancement of humanity. And we have a electricity generation system around the world that wastes 30% of its primary power, its primary product, keeping the, the pipes pressurized, the transmission lines. And 30% of the energy goes to the ground. Bitcoin uses one quarter of 1% of the energy that we send to the ground. We're actually recovering waste energy. We're actually making those coal mines slightly more energy efficient because then we can tokenize that. And then we can turn it into something people can use to transact value and capture that value in the form of a token, Bitcoin, or Monero, or Decred, or any other proof-of-work blockchain. Proof-of-stake blockchains have zero energy costs associated with them, meaning they're just another form of MMT or just another form of debt-based security where we have zero opportunity cost money. Zero opportunity cost money is called slavery. It's called scrip. And it's what they've always wanted to pull off. That's, you know, doesn't matter if it was greenbacks during the Civil War or, you know, paper pounds during World War One or whatever. Same thing. Today it's Federal Reserve notes, but at least they're tied to debt. But now the debt's unpayable. So now it's really unmoored from op opportunity, you know, the opportunity uh, uh, costs associated with, you know, the, the, the labor that would take to issue, to pay back the debt. It's nonsense. It doesn't, it's not going to happen. So crypto is under fire. And I'm talking about specifically about proof of work, Bitcoin like crypto, which I am a quote unquote maxi on. I am not a Bitcoin maxi. I don't believe that Bitcoin has to beat everything else. But I do believe in proof of work. Okay. Um, as a foundational asset for a new monetary system. I think it's a perfectly accurate one. If you want to tokenize, you know, gold, you want to tokenize anything else, you can do the same thing and put it on a, on a proof of work style blockchain. I don't care. Something's going to win and I don't care what that is. And I'm, and I'm agnostic and not about what is going to win. I just know that proof of work is the way we get there. And maybe there's going to be a new version of proof of work that's even better than the current system. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, and that's what, we'll we'll see what happens. But for right now, this is the tool. For, this is the right tool for the job because there's no way of getting around it. You can't print. They're trying to print Bitcoins. They're trying to print them through the futures market, the same way that they print gold through the futures market. But at some point, this is, again, going back to Roy's original question about why I don't think Putin is on board with the Great Reset is because Putin is now trying to collapse the paper commodity markets. The paperization, the financialization of commodities, which which take commodity producers and turn them into debt slaves where they can make no money producing the goods we need to run the world. And we offer nothing for their something. And that's an unfair trade. And all Putin has to do is, you know what? No. Gas for rubles, rubles for gold. Or rubles for Bitcoin. And we've been, we in the gold community have been saying for 15 years, 20 years, this is all that has to happen. And the Chinese started laying the foundation for this when they opened up the, the Shanghai uh, crude oil futures contract a few years ago. And then previous to that, the 
only physically gold settled gold contract on Shanghai. You, there are no paper futures. There is no rehypothecation of gold or hypothecation of gold in Chinese gold trading. The Chinese yuan, for all of the, for all intents and purposes, is already gold backed in this respect. The foundation has already been laid. All they had to do was make it official. And the Russians just made it official. Now they're willing to slow roll that official role uh, to, as much as possible as another way of saying, look, we don't want World War III. Let's come to an arrangement. Let's sit down and talk about this. You're going to lose. No matter what you do, we have the hammer. You're going to lose. We're going to destroy your markets. We can destroy your markets. We don't have to use our nukes. We've got gold. We've got nickel. We've got copper. We've got oil. We've got gas. And every day you, you watch the West try to reel out from underneath this. And they're caught in the world's tightest Chinese finger trap. Which is offering debt for money. Offering debt for real things. And debt for real things is ending. Right in front of our eyes. And it doesn't matter if it's going to be gold that wins or Bitcoin that wins or Monero or this or that. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever wins, wins. But right now, the Russians are driving that, and the world cannot um, cut them out of that system. Though we are going to try over the next six to 18 months to see if they can, see if we can do as much damage to them as possible and hope that we can overthrow Putin. Again, then just opening up the door, to, they're not going to get their dude in place. They're going to get somebody worse than him. They're going to get Petrushev, or they're going to get Medvedev, or they're going to get some other guy, who, or they're going to get Shoigu, who's just going to uh, just... Uh, just, just nuke them. Just nuke the freaking Brits and get the the world would be a better place without them. <laughs> like, can you imagine that this is to be the mindset? Yeah, and you know this is where we are, and they but they don't know how to lose, and they don't know how to accept the fact that they're not that they they don't know how to the European Union and the the leadership in Europe do not know how to un, to incorporate into their worldview that they are not the world's smartest, most wise and insouciant people who have the right to run the world. It does not enter into their thinking. They are right and they will do anything, anything to make that right a reality. Yeah. So. Seems to have been a very long planned <laughs> play. Well, it was originally Agenda 2050. Jane, yeah. it was originally supposed to be 20, uh, Agenda 2050, and then Brexit and Trump pushed it up to 2030. And now they're what? trying to actually get it done now. You What? The Trump? You said Trump oh, I, pushed Trump it? and Brexit pushed Agenda 2050 up to Agenda 2030. Because? Oh, yeah. Because they lost political control of the United States and, and, and the UK. Wow. And without, so that's why COVID yeah. They also lost control under Trump. They lost control of the Federal Reserve. Something else I've right. lost out by, by mistake. Like they lost control of the Federal Reserve when they put Powell in place and Powell put John Williams in charge of the Atlanta Fed. And they finally, after 10 years, in, in, implemented SOFR, which has now cut ties between LIBOR and the LIBOR banks and the American banks. Now the American banks can do business. While the while the Fed raises interest rates and they don't have to be worried about what happens in the LIBOR banks. If they if if the European money markets seize up, the Fed doesn't have to come in and 
and bail out our money markets, which seize up because they're all indexed to the same inter the same bogus interest rate. See, that's it. LIBOR is the, like the ultimate bit of central planning that nobody wants to talk about. It's the ultimate technocratic means by which to control, literally to dial in monetary policy for the entire world and make the euro dollar, the offshore euro dollar futures market, the setter of monetary policy. Well, the, and the Fed winds up having to be the price taker on its own money as opposed to the price setter of its own money. And once you understand that dynamic and you realize that we now finally have things in place, the Fed's going to raise by 50 basis points tomorrow. And then they're going to raise by 50 basis points at the end of June. And then they're going to be at three and a half percent by the end of the year. And everybody's going to be freaking out or they're going to assassinate Powell. That's how big the stakes are, guys. Yeah. That's what's going on. And I can it's I see it as clear as day. It's why, you know, they leaked the the Supreme Court's decision about repealing, you know, uh, uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. Because they now need to turn the midterm elections, which they can't win, without, you know, turning the without activating all the crazy women who want to murder their children. Just, 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 this is what they're, this, this is who they are. And now they want to, you know, harvest organs out of, out of born, out of seven day old fetuses in, in California. Yeah. Cause that's what that bill is all about. Yeah. I think even older. So this is yeah. what we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that Bitcoin was uh, a way of surveying. I'll just, I just want you to expand on that and then I'll pass it to Hartman. Um, to, to survive, it's actually to survive. Like, I, 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 I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure if I use the word survey, I'm not sure in what context. Just as a way of surveying those that have Bitcoin. Is that what you meant? Or, well, what I mean is that, that, um, that people who have, if you have Bitcoin, you've now the, the, the way I would, the best way to put Bitcoin in the context of all this is I don't know what's going to win. So what I tell my people is very simply, I like Bitcoin. I think it's great. I think some other proof of work coins are also good. I think cash is great because we're going we're into a dollar bull wave. And I think gold is great. And I think silver is good. I think you should own all of it. And I think you should own some land. And I think you should own, you know, I think you should, you know, I think you should figure out how to monetize your hobby, whatever it is. And I, you know, you're going to need all of these things. And I think you need to, and, and all of those things are savings. You know, we're going, we're, we're going back down. We're having as, as investors, we have to get back down to brass tax, which is that we're all, our industries are all really risky. So we have to get back to cash and then try and figure out what industries are going to be allowed to flourish. So once we have cash, we're going to deploy that after the period of instability. So um, what I would, so that's what I, I keep telling everybody. It's like, you know, own, own it all. But at the same time, you know, don't forget the people because the people are going to be the ones that you're going to be able to transact with in order to get the stuff done. So I'm like, you know, I got, I got a cow supplier, you know, seven miles away from me. And I make sure that I process, I have my cows processed at the guy in at the, at the, the guy down the road, not the big, not, not the, not, not the, the, the bigger one, but that guy, cause I want to make sure he has enough business that he's going to be in business so that we can process meat. And we have a, we have a local economy that makes sense. Like, so I don't 
I buy, I buy very, very, you know, we don't, it's not like we don't buy food from the grocery store, but you know, every year we buy a cow or, or so, and that cow needs to be processed and the hide needs to be processed and balling and all that stuff. So what's, you know, yeah. like the same thing, or, or do I trade that for goats or do I trade it for, do I trade my goats for, for, for pigs or, you know, whatever, but that's what you, you have that option, but the, it's building that local community and keeping that local community um, tied to you. And Bitcoin is going to help do that. It's going to help move it's going to help that process because it will enable people to move value for value without um anybody in between and while i'm not a huge fan of lightning network theoretically i am perfect i think lightning network is a perfect you know stopgap for long-term uh, adoption of, of of crypto and getting outside of the current banking system so but you know they're going to try and they're, ab they're absolutely doing all the chain analysis out there to try and figure out who owns what so that they can tax it all. Mm. And well, that's what they're doing. I mean, mm -hmm. that's clear. But, you know, at the same time, these are government agencies. And half of their databases don't even talk to each other. So, yeah, and we know the IRS doesn't talk to the DOJ, who doesn't talk to this one, doesn't talk to that one. They all got to get, you know, so sometimes the bureaucracy works to your advantage. Like, if the government was actually efficient, we would be in, actually in worse shape. That's yeah. That's <laughs> the one light. <laughs> no, like sometimes you should. Yeah, you should like embrace the bureaucracy. Oh no, no, you guys, no, no, no. You say that. You, I mean, like, like even in my county, right? Even in, in like, I, I live in Columbia County, Florida, which is you know mostly rural county. Like the property appraiser and the tax collector don't talk to each other. Their databases don't talk. Okay, they don't talk to each other. And it's like 12 people total. Okay. In, in both departments. <laughs> yeah. So I can put an addition on my house and I know that the tax, the ta my taxes aren't going to go up for another 10 years because the tax collector only goes, does a reassessment on my property for 10 years. So I'm not going to get my, you know, it's yeah. Like, so it's, this, this is the way, and you want it to work that way. Yeah, you do. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you don't really want these loopholes to, close because you no. know that what it's all about <laughs> thank you so much tom oh, you're welcome yeah i'll pass you to hartman okay hi tom it's uh, it's really brilliant to have you here because um i'm also as a german let's say as a german i'm i'm, I'm part of the west and i'm also part of the east <laughs> right and um it's uh, uh first of all i want to uh also continue concerning bitcoin sure uh, Bitcoin is a very interesting uh, cryptocurrency, but let's say it this way: it is the target of the governments oh, yeah. at the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, here in Germany, they want to pass a law that if the that you are responsible for the cryptocurrency or for, for especially crypto, uh, Bitcoin, that you that the money is clean and clear. Mm -hmm. And as Bitcoin is used let's say for any kind of businesses in the past um if the money if the bitcoins are not clear then the government has the right to confiscate the bitcoins mm. you buy for example if you have ten thousand bitcoin no that's too much sorry <laughs> um let's say you have 100 bitcoins and um and the and 50 bitcoins are um from let's uh, criminal origin and uh, they can find it out, they can check it, then the government will confiscate it. So, and from my perspective, as 
I'm also working in the Bitcoin market. Um, the interesting thing is that the Arabic area will become a very central point for Bitcoins, for the rich people. And that all the other areas, Europe and maybe North America and all these areas, they will get very big problems with the Bitcoin yeah. market. Mm -hmm. So that the so that the rich people can make their businesses in in the Arabic area, like they want to, mm -hmm. and change it in the let's say USDT or anything like that, so that they can get it out. And but the but the um, the usual guy or the usual woman in in Europe or in America, they have not the possibility to to um, to work with Bitcoin. They mm -hmm. have to go maybe in other cryptocurrencies oh yeah what is about so, you yeah what's about uh, your I mean, opinion about that I, yeah no they, this is the argument about coloring your bitcoin so that oh well see these are clean bitcoins because they were they never they were never used in money laundering or they're never which they continually change the the definition of on a daily basis to suit their suit their needs um it, within the bitcoin community i can tell you they're all like yeah that's nice try it um, yeah, you want to confiscate it? Well, if it's in my cold storage wallet, you're not going to get them. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, if I if I quote unquote launder them through a privacy coin, prove that I own, prove that I even own them. Like you guys, what the governments the, the, the rules like that are hilarious, honestly, because they're meant to scare you into thinking that government's coming to take your bitcoins. I hear this from people all the time. I'm like, have you not heard of pirate chain yet? Have you not heard of Monero? Have you not heard of this coin, that coin that will literally make your transaction go away so that no one could ever figure out what the transaction output looks like? And then you can convert back into a, a brand new Bitcoin address, which is their infinite number of them. And then you your money is free and clear. I mean, if if your government is going to act that way, that which is, of course, is that they believe they have a right and an access to all of your money that you don't actually, the, 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 the fundamental thing here, the fundamental conceit is that they think that all your money is theirs and that they have the right to tax 100% of it all the time at whatever rate they think they, they have the right to tax it at, at any time. This is absolutely the goal of the European union. This is absolutely the goal of all of these, of, of Davos and everything else. They, that's what they want. They want complete and utter control over this. Chinese are no better. The Russians aren't much better. But the Russians are also know full well that they can't really control any of this. So, you know, which is why they actually put together reasonable crypto regulation to allow businesses to actually have, you know, to be able to, to use Bitcoin in a legal sense and create at least a framework that doesn't isn't terrible. Bitcoin's a currency over there. It's not a commodity like it is here in the United States where they're trying to tax all of our gains through capital gains taxes, just roll them up to us that roll them up through taxation to the, to, to, the, to the government. I think that the bigger issue here is for there, it's these laws are just nothing more than another form of capital control. And that you should be worried that your government is going to turn even more rapacious against you. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but Germany, y'all can't, y'all have to, um, was it every 2000 euros or lower in gold, physical gold has to be reported to the government. Now they want to know if you bought an ounce of gold. Like that's how paranoid they are. Yes. Right? Like that's insane. Yes, here in they the United, are very paranoid. Here in the United States, what you're starting to see 
legislatively is a lot of pushback. That Janet Yellen and Gary Gensler, Janet Yellen's is Treasury Secretary, Gary Gensler is the head of the SEC. They're trying to like hold back. They're, they're trying to hold back Bitcoin adoption. Meanwhile, Wall Street is desperately trying to add Bitcoin to their portfolios, to their products that they offer and everything else because the demand is there. We have we have members of Congress who are who are in the throes of these European neo-colonialists, because I'm sorry, as far as I'm concerned, like there's there there's a, a there's a, a contingent within the United States, there's a contingent within the Brits, and there's a contingent within Europe that are all together. And that is what I consider Davos. Davos wants X, wants what you're describing. They want complete and utter total control. And there are forces within the EU, within within the UK, and especially now within the United States, that do not want that. And we're finally seeing pushback within the U.S. political power structure that we haven't seen in the past. And it's because we've reached the end of where everybody was going along and getting along and, or, and was making money. Now no one's making any money. Now the banks don't have a future. The, the commercial banking interests in the United States don't have a future as you know, because there's no investment, because there's no money to put on the table to make any money off of selling, you know, crazy investment products anymore. They they can't do normal everyday community building banking. That's all the regional banks in the United States. The big banks all make their money off of their trading desks and they can't make any money off their trading desks anymore because we've destroyed the investment banking situation here in the United States. So it's, it's like, so, and why is that? Because Davos wants to destroy the commercial banking system get rid of the two-tiered monetary system where the central banks make the money and the and the commercial banks distribute the money. They want to collapse that to the central banks so that they can have complete control over it through central bank digital currencies. They want to get rid of SWIFT, replace it with Ripple, and have a completely digitized you know, um, um, monetary system controlled effectively by the Bank of International Settlements and the IMF with some of the member central banks then acting as like the new community banks. Or, and um, the Federal Reserve, by the way, is not down with this idea, and neither is Wall Street. And we're seeing a lot of pushback politically within the United States that's not going to allow this to happen. So we're looking at, for example, we're looking at the CFTC starting to change the definitions of certain currencies, certain, certain cryptos. We're starting to see um, Gensler lose his... Um, losing, he's losing out to congressmen who are trying to push getting rid of capital gains tax for um, incidental Bitcoin transactions, or cryptocurrency transactions, so that we can, you know, move six hundred dollars at a time without any oversight or any capital gains. They get that through. Amazon takes Bitcoin tomorrow. The reason Amazon doesn't take Bitcoin is because Amazon would have to cal calculate capital gains tax on every Bitcoin transaction, right? And mm -hmm. I remember when Amazon announced back in 2016 that they were getting ready to 2015, 2016, to get ready to take both Litecoin and Bitcoin. And then the C and then the CFTC declared it a commodity and the SEC declared it a security or whatever they did. And they and and that just crushed it because then they put it in the most disadvantageous tax um, uh, uh, classification that you can have in the United States. OK, so. That's the fight. So the good news, the bad news is, yeah, they're doing all this. The good news is, is that we're starting to see countervailing forces working against this. And it's happening at 
the top level because not they're not doing it for our benefit. They're doing it for their own benefit. JP Morgan is not trying to build a, a competitor to Ripple to replace Swift for our benefit. They're just doing it because they don't want Davos to get Ripple. And they want to be in charge of it. The Federal Reserve isn't acting in, they didn't all of a sudden get religion and, and are a patriotic institution. Okay. The Wall Street isn't, you know, they don't give a damn about the United States. They just care, care about themselves. And so temporarily, they can be the people's ally in going against the bigger problem. In the same way that I don't think Russia is fighting any kind of, any kind of, of, uh, of holy war against the transhumanists. I think they're acting in Russia's best interest to stop the transhumanists from destroying Russia. Now, the downstream effect of that may be that they break the transhumanists and they wind up, we wind up being temporary allies. Great. But don't, but don't think of Putin as a hero and don't think of Jerome Powell as a hero in the end of the scenario. No, no, just think that we can be temporary allies because we have shared interests in the short run. It's, uh, uh, it's interesting because, um, the, on the one hand, the banks or many banks seems to be part of the, let's say, of the new great reset. But on right. the other hand, uh, uh, the situation is the bank understands the banks understand that they are also victim. Mm -hmm. And now they try to survive anyhow. And for yeah. example, uh, they try to survive by putting many, many cash and that there's trillion of cash outside in the mm -hmm. in security houses, and they try to put them in the banking system in order to find in order to survive this battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And this, and I, I don't know the European banking system well enough to know who is attempting to do that and who isn't. But when I see like the German government raid Deutsche Bank, like, <laughs> right, <laughs> I, I see Bill Browder going against, you know, going after ING and, and I, like, I know what I'm looking at, right? Um, so uh, it is, it, let's say it this way, uh, intelligent man said, uh, a war is not uh, it's not so much about conquering another land or another country it is more about the transformation of your own country and um and the interesting thing for example uh, the um, the sanctions against russia they have increased the value of ruble of 250% right now and for the russians it is let's say it this way it doesn't matter whether the europeans are the customer or not because they only have to go to India they need they need additionally 500 million clients and that's it and that's yep. India China and some others and in that moment the situation has completely changed yes yeah now, and it's, it, um, it's, but it's in the short I want to I want to add a little color to that because it's really important what they're thinking in terms of putting an, an oil embargo on, on, on Russia is they think that in the short term, the dislocation in the short term, because all that oil that would normally go from St. Petersburg to Rotterdam and back again, which takes like 20 or 30 days to do the whole round trip, maybe an extra 10 days for loading or unloading, now has to go to India. And that's a 120-day voyage. And so the supply of ships hasn't changed, but the length of the average voyage has, and that changes the distribution pattern of oil tremendously and they think that they can use that as a way to bankrupt Russia and force even more production offline. And so as opposed to them, you know, so for the next two or three years until there's new, until there's, you know, a bunch of new VLCCs and Suez Max 
carriers built because they were all scrapped during COVID. All the new builds in oil tankers and in dry weight tonnage tankers. Because I'm I'm invested in the space. I know, I know, you know, I I know the space well. LNG carriers and all this stuff that uh, that market was crushed during COVID, and so many new builds were put on hold or scrapped completely. And now the now the now the goal is going to be to disrupt the flow of oil around the world in order to take the Russians out of the market and then try But I don't know that it's going to work because it looks to me like the rest of the oil producing world is siding with the Russians and not with the Europeans because the rest of the oil producing world realizes for the first time that like, look, these people don't want oil in the long run. They want to destroy our businesses. They want to destroy our economies. They want to move us to, I know Germany wants to move everybody to hydrogen, which is yet another pushing the dead whale up the beach type of technology from an engineering perspective. It's just dumb. Hydrogen is dumb. I mean, it's, 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 it's categorically uh, yeah. dumb. Uh, the situation concerning the gas, for example, is also that the gas tanks in Germany are quite empty. At the moment, we have, yeah, I think, 13 absolutely. or 40% of the gas tanks. What's but the interesting thing is we have, we have uh, a take or pay contract with Russia. So mm -hmm. the so Russia is delivering the whole time gas to Europe, yeah. to Germany, and Germany is selling it on the market price. I know. And so the problem the is at seven the, times the price. It's ridiculous. Yes. And the polls are and willingly this is, going along with this. Which yeah. to me is like validates every dumb Polak joke you ever met in your life, you ever you ever heard in your life. Like Yep. When the Russians were more than willing to cut them a new gas contract and flow some gas to Ukraine, and 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 they're like, no, we're going to destroy our economy and then invade Ukraine. I I, yes. I don't even understand what the polls are doing because they can't even they can't even import enough LNG from the United States to make up what they were what they would lose anyway. It's it. it there, I have one question. Uh, sure. Do you have did did you get also the information that the Americans have made an LNG contract with the Amer with the Russians? Not so. That, for example, this was a no. Okay, because this I, I was don't. my information. Okay, that, that. the uh, Americans uh, because let's say it this way: oh, the Americans the are buying Russians LNG from the Russians to, to to sell to the Europeans under the American flag. I that that wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. Because look, I know the I know the the LNG tanker market in 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 Russia. So that wouldn't surprise me at all that there's some American subsidiary in a Bahamas offshore, you know, with an offshore shell company has actually done the contract with Gazprom or Novatech to buy the LNG and supply it to the Germans and say, no, we're really not buying any Russian gas. It's dumb. It's just silly. No, we're talking about the stuff that's coming from Chenier. Like we know that. Um, out of out of Louisiana, that stuff is could never come in enough volume to over over um, overtake what's coming from the Russians. The other thing that's going to happen is that those ships that normally go from St. Petersburg to Rotterdam and back again are going to go from St. Petersburg to the Bahamas and then back to Rotterdam yep. because there's massive oil storage in the Bahamas, and so it'll just mean that there'll be two different routes happening and it all it's we're buying bahamanian oil we're buying you know and like they're just going to rebrand it all like this is how the this is how the iranians are evaded sanctions for years 
Yep. Um, their transfer C and all this stuff. The Russians will do the same thing, but they're, they, they understand that. And they also understand that they need to bring in, um, they're going to need, they're, they're going to have to bring new pipelines online, which is part of the reason why we overthrew Imran Khan in Pakistan, because the Russians and the, and the Indians and the Pakistanis were already ready to bring a nice big oil and gas pipeline down from central Russia across all of them. And then, so we had to overthrow Imran Khan. So it could be very interesting to say how long that, again, I don't think that's a long-term solution because I don't see the current Pakistani government lasting six months. But hey, when your time horizon for overthrowing Putin is 18 months, you'll do anything. Um, I would like to, uh, before I pass to John, I would sure. like to, I would like to um, uh, tell a fairy tale, sure. fairy tale concerning uh, concerning the uh, third world war um imagine there was once upon a time uh, a land conquer another land and the other countries decided to support the conquered land by bringing weapons to this country and uh, the funny thing is um at the border to this country specific quantity get lost and you can find it in the continent uh, let's say in africa and then the rest will also get lost and many countries let's say specific people make a lot of money and the maybe maybe five or ten percent of the weapons will never reach the front at all <laughs> so this is the situation and this gives me the hope that there's no third world war <sighs> me too <laughs> I mean, there's many, many, there's many operatives, like most of the, the weapons that are being sent to Ukraine, it's all a big slush fund. The $33 billion yeah. that Biden signed off on, $8.1 of that was to build the Ministry of Disinformation here in the United States. Okay. I saw that number this morning. Yeah. Most of the weapons, it's really just one last slush fund to ensure that Pelosi and Mitt Romney and Adam Schiff and all the rest of them get their final payout before the whole thing collapses. Um. Correct. I think when I'm hearing of the this. Eastern Front in Russia that eventually, and I, again, I, I, again, I have, I, I just think that people don't, you know, the Russians, um, artillery shells are cheap. They're done putting men and tanks at risk. So now they're just doing saturation bombing of Ukrainian army positions and artillery shells are cheap. It costs less for the Russians to build artillery shells and transfer them to the front, then it costs for the United States to build artillery shells and send them to Europe and then have them get bombed by the Russians as they cross the border in from Poland. Yep. That's the, that's the scenario. So I, from the day after this war started, I wrote an article saying, okay, um, whose cauldron is it anyway? Whose meat grinder is this? Because if you're the Russians, you built, you beat the United States by running a war of attrition against the Ukrainians. If the Americans and the Ukrainians are willing to fight to the last Ukrainian, okay, challenge accepted. It's disgusting. It's horrific. But this is the scenario. You guys are choosing this. We're not. We keep saying, let's, let's, let's end the war. Okay, yeah. you don't want to end the war. Yeah. Artillery shells bomb the ar artillery shells land all day long. S three hundred missiles are cheap to build. 
S four hundred missiles are cheap. But I but I think, but I but I really believe that um, a huge quantity is only sold, and that's it. Yeah. No. It's, and I, I think we're gonna. I think that's part again part of the reason why they need to start shifting the Overton window politically here in the United States um, to get us away from the war because this thing's gonna collapse on them very very quickly, and we're gonna watch the Ukrainian uh, Eastern Front collapse, and then. Um, you know, we'll see if the, the if the Russians can can uh, muster an advance from uh, Nikolaev across to Odessa or not. I don't know. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to. But I know that's their goal. Their goal is everything from Kharkov to Odessa, east of the Dnepr River. That's the goal, and I think they're willing to take however however long it takes to get there. And that the only thing that's keeping that from happening faster is um, Putin has hamstrung himself by not declaring an actual war. So expect that on May 9th. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a war because uh, they they don't destroy the infrastructure. Let's say it this way. Well, what I mean is, I mean, I, war, I, I, then, it, then the, yep. What I meant by that, what I meant by that was uh, officially the Russians did not declare war on Ukraine. They declared this a special military operation under UN Charter, under Chapter and Verse of UN Charter, to uh, as a humanitarian action to support the Donbass. And Donbass independence. Yep. Putin that hamstrings him in many ways domestically as to what he can actually do. He has to declare a war to then begin conscripting new soldiers and altering the budget and yada 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 and all of those things. And that's why he may have to, you know, there's a once different things are set in motion, different options are opened up budgetarily the minute he declares war, as opposed to a special military operation under the UN Charter. And that's what comes next. Um, and we'll see. So that's 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 what I mean by that. Thank you so much. I passed it to welcome. John. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Yep, you too. Hi, um, hi uh, Tom. Um, quick question before I get started. It's been sure. bugging me the whole time I, I, I we started. Do you have any relations to Roberto? No, I ask. I get asked that question all the time. I wish I did. <laughs> I'm a huge hockey fan, and I started my blogging career really as a hockey blogger, uh, covering the Buffalo Sabers uh, back in 2005 to 2008. I even, re even, even uh, wrote for um, AOL at the time when uh, the AOL Fan House was the biggest sports blog on the internet, and um, I was recruited along with uh, some of the other first generation hockey bloggers to be the first kind of, you know, uh, sports blogging commentators on the internet. Um, and then I just, you know, let that go because I was working in something else because, you know, I was getting paid $8 an article. And after a while, that was like, that's not just not enough money to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, uh, I've watched Roberto play. I've watched him choke in the playoffs way too many times. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just remind he just reminds me of an Italian Ryan Miller. It's like the same thing. Always left in the one softy that, you know, we used to call him Mr. Softy and uh, call him Miller Mr. Softy over in, uh, over in Buffalo. It's the same thing. When you needed him to make that big stop in that one big game, they, oh, never happened. Great goaltender, but. Great goaltender, great goaltender. Just um, not, just, just not Patrick Waugh. No levels no. of you know, it's just not Patrick Waugh. No, or Dominic Hasek, or yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> the man, the, 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 by far the greatest goaltender ever to walk the face of the earth. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, I got over a dozen questions that have come oh, up yeah. over the hours, so we're not going to go over them. I'm just going to try and yeah. pick, uh, pick and choose the best pick. ones. Yeah, I, I saw you being very, very patient because I'm like, uh oh, this is going to be good. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Um, 
ever since the year started or even before this whole year started we've been talking about food short food shortages mm -hmm. and ever since i moved here to florida the grocery markets are packed with foods it's like yep. it just feels like they're trying to pull wool over our eyes so they can do whatever they need to do in the background and it's like it's like here's some old footage and I've seen this happen with the yeah. this, the reason why I'm going with this is because sure. I've seen footage coming out of Ukraine yeah. with firefighters, first responders from Edmonton. Right. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, Florida is a little different. We are in a, people don't know this. We are an immense food state. We grow an unbelievable amount of food. We are the biggest cattle producing state in the United States. I live in cow country. I live north of Gainesville. Okay, outside of the University of Florida and the complex and the medical industrial complex that is uh, Shands Hospital. All of rural Alachua County is cow farms. And everywhere that's that Union and to the north and Putnam counties to the east are not underwater half the year are cow farms. Columbia County is all cow farms. Gilchrist County, Levy County cow farms and all the way out into the panhandle and everywhere else cows pigs goats you name it we, we you know goat it's not really great goat country up here because it's too wet and goats really do prefer arid weather but we just produce an unbelievable amount of food and so most food is really locally sourced and so you're getting a little weird picture of just how great it is to live in florida as opposed to other parts of the country so um i don't know that food shortages are coming yet we are still living off of our grain stores here in the United States that we've had in the past. But if you look at the USDA um, projections of corn stores and grain stores and whatnot, it's it's here. It's not just a, uh, a function of the futures market playing games with us to create a narrative. Um, we've only got 11% of the corn crop in this year, as of right now. Um, we're supposed to be in the 30s or the 40s. It's the lowest number ever. Uh, without corn, there's just not much industry. Like uh, same thing with wheat. Same thing with wheat. I have a patron who's a uh, a, a farmer up in um, in Alberta, telling me what the prices are for what amounts to his leftovers, his shake. If you're you know if you're in the pot, like your shake, like what's left over, the 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 tailings, the middlings, the He's getting $23 a bushel for it, for his soybean and rapeseed. $23, $24, $25 a bushel for stuff that he normally couldn't even sell. Give away. It's, it's interesting. We, we're, getting, we're getting into that. We're, the, the, the next phase of this, we haven't quite gotten there because we do such a good job of, of we recognize, especially in the, here in the West, we recognize the strategic importance of having a strategic food reserve. And we're burning it's, through it. It's interesting that you said uh, with with a, with a you know the lack of corn that's going on because uh, I remember way back way back when back in two thousand and nine uh, when I was really learning about nutrition and everything. Um, they actually there's a correlation in Wall Street between corn and the price of oil, mm -hmm. and now that we're seeing the increases in the price of oil, we're seeing mm -hmm. less corn on the market. Mm -hmm. So. 
and with everything else that's going on with like uh, the monetary fund with the monetary funds and all this stuff and you know the uh the inflation that's happening not just here in the united states but all over the world right um it just seems like that the currency itself is about to collapse i get that feeling not quite yet um we're gonna get there the world is still biblically short dollars too much of the world of the corporate debt in the world today is still denominated and has to be paid in dollars. So the world is really short dollars. Where are we talking about a world world war three starting point, you know, starting up Europe. That means the Americans are America is not going to get bombed similar to world war two. Why did America, why was America the destination for global capital and during world war two in the lead up to world war two? Because it wasn't under threat of getting bombed. Capital flows to where it need, where it feels safest or where it's treated best. Okay. So that's that's the short. So the 18 month to two year time horizon here is that the dollar is going to go ballistic to the upside as we move, as we as we transition to a different monetary system. We're also dealing with massive supply disruptions all the way around the world some of which are designed from the ground up. I firmly believe that the European Union is purposefully trying to collapse the Russian oil market. And at the same time, the German economy and the French economy and the Italian economy. They're doing it on purpose because they need to destroy the middle class in order to make it acceptable for them to accept um, debt jubilee and debt default, just like the Europeans did in the 1930s. And then move the money over and then transfer all the power from the individual central banks to the ECB, who will then confiscate all the national gold, issue um, consuls, per George Soros's plan, of issuing perpetual debt at a quarter point or half a point. Um, and then transferring everything to the ECB, who then issues a digital euro, which I still think they're five years away from, but it doesn't matter. They will move us. To, they, they, that's what Europe's fate is. And I firmly believe that the, the United States Federal Reserve is trying to help that happen. And I think that the Russians are doing the same thing on their end. In the meantime, you can't disrupt energy markets the way we have and not disrupt the food markets. Because corn, you don't grow corn without oil. Because you don't grow corn without urea. You don't grow corn without ammonia. You don't grow corn without oil. Okay? At least the way we currently farm in an industrial setting. There are ways of producing ridiculous amounts of food that do not require ridiculous amounts of oil. But I don't know what else, you know, that, but we do need energy inputs into this. So we're not going to support 9 billion people on this planet without, which is about what the, the upper limit's going to wind up being. Right, the projections are that it's going to top off about nine, nine point one, nine point two billion people, without energy input into food production of some form or other. Now we can do a better job of the way we farm and all these other things. That's perfectly reasonable, and part of the reason why we farm the way we farm is because of the hyper financialization of commodities. Going back to what I was saying earlier about Bitcoin and everything else, like the we offer nothing to people who produce something. We have to reverse that trend so that we now that the people who want something have to give something in return. And that will change the balance, the, that will change the profit balance 
of and open up new profitable mechanisms by which to generate energy and food and this and and all of these things. We do this badly because the financial hyper financialization of the markets roll all the profit up to those in the political class. And so that's the dynamic that has to be reversed. That's the dynamic that has to be reversed. And I don't know. And it's going to happen whether Davos likes it or not, whether Wall Street likes it or not, or whether, you know, we like it or not. Okay. So the disruption is going to be real because we're moving into, you know, this, we're just moving into that phase of the solar cycle and the political cycle and the, and, and the economic cycle that are all coming together at the same time. And you've got a whole bunch of people saying, well, we're not going to be able to grow enough food because they've decided that we don't have enough food and that we're going to need to eat bugs for a protein as opposed to meat. No. I'm eating meat. I ain't eating bugs. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. I'm eating cows. And we here in Florida are going to eat cows. And that's just going to be the end of it. And Bill Gates can go scratch because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he can lay claim to a quarter of a million acres of farmland or whatever it is. And he can like put it under cultivation of, of, of garbage. And then, you know, when, when, when push comes to shove, we're going to nationalize his land. We're going to take his land from it and we're going to put cows on it. That's what's going to happen. You know, if might, if we live in a world where there's no rule of law and there's rule of men, which is the world we, we have moved into, where they use the rule of law to their advantage, but rule of men and every other, but their rule are pu pushed on us um, whenever they want to their advantage. Well, then guess what? We're going to do the same thing. It's rules for thee and not for me. We live in a world of anarcho-tyranny where the people at the top practice functional anarchy and they want what they have, they have what they want. And uh, it's tyranny for everybody else. Well, no, they have not disarmed the United States. They have not defederalized the United States. They have not destroyed the tax structure of the United States. They have not destroyed the corporate tax structure of the United States. They have failed completely to take over the United States. All they've done is radicalize a bunch of blue hairs who think, and what they're, they're hoping for is to, to get one more kick at the can this November. They're going to lose tremendously. And then the, the political change in the United States is going to be dramatic. And it's also going to cause a split in the country because then they will, they will firmly try to split off the bi-coastal libs from the heartland of, of America. I, I, I don't mean to be rude, but I am kind of rude when I come to this. Europeans don't understand how big America is. These have no idea. Like y'all have like 800 million people in the size of like the Northeast or whatever. Like we have 300 million spread across a land that's enormous. We can't move to electric cars and electric trucks. We can't live without diesel fuel. You can't run a vast farming combine on electricity as generated by coal plants, you're going to need diesel fuel. It's just going to happen. I drive 23 miles to the local Walmart. Okay. I'm 23 miles from Walmart. This is the reality of most of America. And I got news for you. Everybody's leaving the cities. They're all coming to, they're all buying up property around me. 
Yeah, we're going to need our cars more, not less. And I know that Obama and Davos want us to get rid of our cars and all move back into the cities. Not going to happen. So people are moving into food production areas of the country. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I, I, we may avoid the worst of the, the food shortages, but there's going to be a couple of year dislocation. Sorry. I was just going to say, uh, that's the one thing that I've noticed uh, moving from uh, Toronto to uh, uh, here in Southern Florida. It's if you don't got a car here, you're in trouble. You're not, you, you need to be on your cell phone and call Uber for food because you yeah. can't go to the supermarket easily. It's, it, it's not just that it's, it's, there's, it's um, like go to Key West. This, if you want to know, understand how big America is, go to Key West, rent a car in Key West and drive to Pensacola. When you get there tomorrow, that's Florida. Yeah. Okay. It's it's fine. I, I, oh, I live in the same state as my partner. Yeah, and we're. I still have. I only see him twice a year. He lives five hours away. But we think nothing of getting in a car and driving for two hours. Like so it's the old adage that I mean, you know that um, Americans think two hundred years is a long time, and Europeans think two hundred miles is a long way. George Bernard Shaw said that, not me. Like, and I think that's that, that's valid. It's just we have you cannot. You cannot control a population that spread out. No. You just can't with, 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 set, with top-down central control. You can do it in places where people are, are, are crammed in together. But the cost of enforcement is insane. This is why we have such bad cell phone coverage and such bad internet coverage. It's old, you know, old ladder laws about, you know, moving copper across county lines and, you know, putting up cell towers because dudes, like I don't have cell, I barely have cell coverage where I live and I only live three miles outside of town, but I live on the wrong side of a political border between one county and the other. And because I live on the wrong, on the North side of the Santa Fe river, I can't get cable. So I have a really bad internet connection. I'm on DSL and um, I have, you know, I get one bad, I get one to one and a half bars of LTE. So I'm never going to get 5G. They're never going to put a 5G tower in where I am. Where I am. Like, it's not going to happen. You know why? Because there's 50 people live out here. And I'm literally three miles outside of a town that has, you know, multiple shops and, you know, you know, a couple of grocery stores and whatnot. It's, the town's not big, but it's not, but it's, but it serves 20,000 people within a 200 square mile radius. Or you know, seventy-five square mile radius and a twenty-mile, you know, do, go twenty miles out of its epicenter, or fifty miles outside of its epicenter. Does it you, serves people in three different Florida counties? Do you think some? Do you think some forward-thinking multi-billionaires out there? And I'm speaking about one person in particular who's mm-hmm. who's made who's made like big big moves right. Yes. Recently, Mister Mister Elon is probably and one Peter of my Peter and others. Yeah, yeah. Because he on one of his interviews, he actually said that you can power the entire United States by only a hundred square kilometer of a solar with a solar panel. Do you think that's actually plausible? I think it's I think it's a dumb idea. Solar is a bad technology. I'm I'm beginning to do the deep dive into what could have been in energy. 
Elon Musk is a very interesting guy. Solar is he know, but he's also in space exploration, so he knows that solar is not the solution. He knows it because anybody who's in the space exploration at all knows that solar is um, capable of getting us to Mars. But that's about it. Because you know, you're talking about a sixty percent drop off in efficiency of solar cells between here and, and Mars. So the only possible solution for energy density and on demand reliable energy density is nuclear. I've always thought that. Mm-hmm. Stopgap measures like PEM fuel cells running off of hydro uh, light chain light hydrocarbons. Remember, guys, I am a chemist. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not, you know, and I'm a high energy physicist first and then a, and then a chemist. And then I stepped down to do chemistry because as an undergraduate, I did high energy physics. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I know all of this, I, but I understand the, the practical engineering and the practical limits of these things. And I've worked in, you know, I've worked in material science and I've worked in, you know, alloy uh, design and all of this stuff, material science design. I've worked in all of this stuff. And I've, I can tell you that I've never trusted the global warming story ever. And solar is a nice backup system. And when we get battery technology to the point where we can store what well and compactly, then any energy that we, ge- that we generate, we can store more effectively using solar and or you know, wave or, you know, wind or, you know, those, those things are important. Great. I, I have no, I, I'm not against capturing them, but they're, but these are low dent, low energy density sources. We need energy density to run a modern society, to, to run baseload for a modern society. You're not going to make industrial quantities of ammonia to make fertilizer because you got to reduce nitrogen which is extremely expensive energetically from nitrate or nitrogen to ammonia. Ammonia is nitrogen hydride, trihydride, right? That's that's NH3. Like you've got to go from plus seven oxidation or plus five or plus seven oxidation to plus five oxidation back to minus one or minus three, not to minus three. That's a lot of energy. Yeah. And you got to then store it. And then you got to keep it. And it wants to volatilize on you. It wants to do all this other stuff. You, it's the same thing with like liquefying natural gas. It's an incredibly expensive part of the process. It's 25% of the cost. And the same thing with ammonia. You're not going to run a modern society and feed 9 billion people without a cheap, without cheap energy. And you can do it. But we're dealing with people who believe that we shouldn't do it. The problem with the world we live in today, and I think we should probably kind of wrap it up soon, because um, I've got I've got two other interviews I got to do today, and I'm going to wind up killing my voice. The problem we have today is we have a group of people who believe that humanity shouldn't have nice things. That's what's important. That's the takeaway from all of their. When you look at their dumb policies, and you ask them, "Why are we doing that? That's dumb." Like, why are we still burning coal? That's stupid. I mean, yeah, okay, uranium reactors, hot light water reactors aren't great, but they're better than coal. Why are we doing this? Then you start asking yourself the question, 
maybe it's not incompetent. Maybe it's not regulatory. Maybe it's not that governments are just dumb. Maybe it's that they were purposefully created to be dumb. Maybe it was all a multi-generational act of vandalism against the species itself from a bunch of people who are nihilists and who believe that they have the right to play God with all of us. That is the real story of our the last 80 years of our history as a species. Yeah. That's the story we have to keep into our, our put in our heads when we analyze what they're doing. Because once you see that, you can't unsee. Biden is not incompetent. He's a vandal. It's that simple. And I use Biden as a metaphor for the entire Obama third term administration that we're living under, the junta. Same thing in Germany, same thing in Italy, same thing in the UK, same thing in the Netherlands or at the European Commission. They're not dumb. They know exactly what they're doing. They got a script and they're running it. Their goal is to prove to you that they're right and your reason is wrong. It's, it's so interesting. You can do at that point is to say, reject all that and then figure out what can I do to stop them? And it may yeah. be very small. I mean, it could be as simple as I'm going to knit my own freaking socks or whatever it is that I'm good at. Like, or it could be as grandiose as, you know, building a small media company to, to, to tell everybody about this. Or it could be as simple as I'm going to befriend my local cow farmer and, um, you know, and, and help him, you know, clean his stalls once a week. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you said uh, they don't want us to have anything because after just before uh, Justine Trudeau up in uh, China to wanted to uh, rewon his uh, election Rewon fake by miss you know shift here shift there they got his seat back um part of his speech uh i'll never forget this he actually told canadians my ultimate goal i'm paraphrasing my ultimate goal is for all canadians to not you will own nothing and be happy yep and that or was else. that was the trigger for me to say okay i'm Canada, I'm finished with Canada. Yeah, no, it's it's always been you will own nothing and be happy, or else. Never forget the or else. They just don't say that part out loud. Yeah. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. Um, Thank you so much. Also, Tom, anything more that you want to tell them about your uh, podcast and other things? No, I mean you've got it right. Everything that if you want to, if, if you like what you heard today, go to the, the blog at tomlongo.me. Uh, there's a link. You'll see a picture of my 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 goat um, Quinn, and you can click on that if you want to become a patron. Um, and uh, if you go to the link to the podcast is right below that. The latest episode of the podcast is right there. You know, just do the thing. What's important is. Ultimately, you have to wind up being your own, right? This is the takeaway from all of this. Be your own. Be your own what? Be your own central bank. Be your own producer. Bring your own thing. Be your own best thing. If you do that, you'll we'll be fine as a species. That is, in all the time that I've been like doing this and I've been thinking about this stuff from, from the politics, is that people 
have built this in spite of all these people that have been going out of their way to try and take it away from us. We still have these brilliant things that are, are this is my iPhone, that, that, that are, are, they think they're designing these systems to enslave us when they're liberating us. And we have to realize that that's, that we will overcome them because it costs more to lie to you than it does for you to tell the truth. So just keep telling the truth. Keep being your own, and you'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll muddle through this. It's going to cost us 20 years of history to undo the damage that they do to us. It's going to cost us an entire generation of humanity. I'm firmly convinced of that. But, you know, look out, look back through our history as people, and you'll see that many generations have been lost because of the, because of the cycles. So... Thank you again. And through the power and humility of the great source, we thank everyone for um, staying your truth. As uh, Tom says, you know, just say the word no, it's not going to happen, as he said, and be your own of everything that you wish. And if this will be uploaded in BitChute and Rumble and in Earth Heroes and all the different platforms of the different podcasters who are here. So source bless. Thank you. And Tom, I hope you come back again. Be happy to.